This is Ed Gunger. Welcome to our podcast. Over the next couple of podcasts, we're going to be exploring the subject of prayer. And um, (laughs) prayer is a gnarly subject because we sort of love it and we hate it. (laughs) We're attracted to it and repelled by it right at the same time. We know there's something we should do and we want to do it, but um, there's this kind of chasm uh, where actually doing it seems so hard. So many of us carry this agony of prayerlessness, some people call it. The whole thing, I think, seems so huge because we intuitively know that prayer is an essential thing for being a spiritual person. I, I really do think it makes us more human. Uh, The Canadian psychologist David G. Benner says prayer is, quote, the soul's native language. Um, We know there's something more in us than appetite and impulse. I mean, there's these seeds of innocence and empathy and spirituality that um, somehow get cultivated and they grow in us when we pray. What we discover when we look at the New Testament is that prayer is not some kind of skill that we're supposed to master as much as it is the way we grow into what Paul calls, quote, the measure of the full stature of Christ, end quote. Jesus Christ, as the perfect person, was defined by prayer. In Luke 5 and 16, it says, Luke says, Luke, or Jesus himself, would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Jesus' life was a life filled with prayer. Being fully human requires growing in prayer. And prayer is central to what it means to be a Christian. Christians pray. It is the way the Spirit manifests within the human heart. You remember Jesus said, or excuse me, Paul said, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. See, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives creates the impulse to pray, to cry out, um, out of this promise of inst- intimacy with the God who cares, our Father, which is exactly how Jesus told us to pray. In a sense, prayer is something we let happen in us more than it's something that we do. Um, I don't know if you've ever walked up to the edge of the Grand Canyon or to some beach where the ocean's crashing with huge rocks. And when you do, there's something in you that goes, without even trying to, whoa. Right, just comes out of your mouth. There's this sense of awe and there's this expression out of your heart or out of your mouth. That impulse uh, to speak, to respond, is the essence. It captures the idea of what of what it means to pray. And it's it it it's because that we discover that our status with God has changed that now we get to call God Father. I mean, if we could step back and see the spiritual status we hold, we would see that we're immersed in this eternal love and have been afforded a participation and eternal in eternal life. And somehow that would cause this woe or this Abba Father. That is the essence of where prayer starts. It's out of a new connection, relationship with God. When asked by his disciples, how do we pray? You remember Jesus begins by saying, say our Father. <laughs> which, And then he begins to articulate this beautiful prayer journey, which we'll deal with next time. By starting there, though, by telling us that we can address God as Father, Jesus was saying that 
everything we do and everything we can do in prayer is bathed in the light of that relationship. God is our Father. God is not just some austere, faraway, inattentive divine being that the pagans imagined, but God is Father. He's not remote. He's immediate. And God loves us as any parent would love a child, and God is as close as we could ever imagine. The relationship is so deep that it can't be limited even to parent language. And that's why in other sacred texts, God uses the language in speaking of his relationship with us as friend and even lover. Somehow, because of what Jesus has done, and because we are the ones who have been immersed into him, into his death, his burial, his resurrection, somehow we belong. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us a vision of the world that God God longs to fill and to care for. We're asking the kingdom to come, God's kingdom to come, and his will be done. What that really is is saying, God, shine into this world and shape it to be the kind of world that you imagined it to be, that somehow we enter into that kind of experience in prayer. Now, we'll come back to the Lord's Prayer next time, as I said, but it's a treasure in the Christian uh, life. And it's the way that we let uh, prayer happen in us. We It's actually the prayer of Jesus, and we pray in his name. In a sense, when we pray, we're sort of putting ourselves in the place of Jesus. Jesus, as our intercessor, continues to speak to God for us. But in a way, when we're entering into prayer, we're joining with Jesus and speak to God in him. We speak in his name. The Bible, when it talks about prayer, it talks about different kinds of prayers. In Ephesians 6 and verse 18, Paul says, pray at all times with every kind of spiritual prayer, keeping alert and persistent as you pray for all believers. See, just like there are different kinds of sports, you know, where there are different kinds of of rules, and uh, um, even though they're in a sense sports are similar, uh, baseball's played very differently than football, than basketball, than golf or volleyball. All those things are different, and yet they're kind of the same. Prayers like that. Um, there are different kinds of prayer. And so over the next couple of podcasts, we're going to discuss and address three or four of those different kinds of prayer. We're going to talk about simple prayer. We're going to talk about not-so-simple prayer. There's a technical name for you. These are things like intercessory prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a not-so-simple prayer. There's a real arc to it, a theological intention to it. There are prayers that we can pray using a breviary or prayer book. Again, not-so-simple. And then there are physical prayers we'll address, like lifting your hands or kneeling or laying prostrate before God or the sign of the cross or even breathing can be a kind of prayer which steers us into the contemplative, silent kinds of prayer. Some of those kinds of prayer even involve things like praying in the Spirit or what Pentecostals talk about, praying in tongues. These things all kind of uh, feed into this notion of prayer. Now, here's what I want to say first about prayer in general, and then today we'll talk about this business of simple prayer. But the idea of prayer early in Christian history. There's a guy named Origen. He lived around 200-ish. And he brings up the question, and it's a great question. If God is all-knowing and he knows what we're going to ask in prayer before we even ask it, why, why do we bother to pray? 
And in response, Origen claims that God knows all, but get this, he claimed that God chose to work out his will and his purposes through our prayers and actions. I mean, he could have done it another way, but he chose to do it to work out his will, his purposes through our prayers and through the things that we do. So when God wants to bring about some act of healing or some act of reconciliation to the world that's broken, he chooses to use our prayer as a part of the set of causes that make what he wants to happen, happen. Which means that things happen when we pray that don't happen when we don't. This is done by God's choice. And the Bible records times when God did want something to happen or didn't want something to happen, and it was attached to prayer. Here's an excellent example in Ezekiel 22, starting in verse 29. This is a thing God did not want to have happen, and he was looking for someone to pray it to stop. The text says, quote, The people of the land have practiced oppression, have committed robbery, and they have wronged the poor and the needy, and they've oppressed the sojourner without justice. And then God says, I searched for a person among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. Thus, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I have brought upon their heads, declares the Lord. End quote. It's such a deeply provocative text because it suggests that God did not want something to happen, but needed human beings to address it in prayer in order for it to stop from happening. God didn't just do things on his own. Somehow he was asking for humans to stand in the gap. Now, this is the biblical claim that prayer has effectiveness, that there's such a thing as effective prayers, that when we pray them, it affects change in ways that if we hadn't prayed, will not happen. So you find texts like James 5.16, the effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. It's a call to us to say, hey, you want to be part of this with God? You want to see the world change? You want to see healing enter into the human condition? Pray. Now, this again suggests that things happen when you pray that don't happen when you don't. So we're encouraged to pray. And the texts of the New Testament call us to pray with faith. In other words, we're to pray with trust that our prayers are being heard, that our prayers are affecting something. We're to trust that. Jesus goes on and adds this idea that we can bring fasting alongside with our prayer and that somehow it causes prayer to be like Fasting causes prayer to be like prayer on steroids. Jesus insisted that some prayers alone don't carry enough energy to affect change unless both prayer and fasting are engaged. Your guess is as good as mine as to what that was about. But I do think that fasting does help us focus. Maybe that's what it is, that somehow focused prayer that is pushed by a loss of or a hunger rise and a loss of food somehow intensifies it. Maybe that's what, what he's meaning by that. We do know Paul says that prayers can get a boost of effectiveness when many people get involved. Second And they pray together. Second Corinthians 1.11 says, you also joining in helping us through your prayers. I love that. That somehow praying people bring help or grace. 
He says, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us. Favor is grace. He's saying, I'm giving thanks for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. So we get a hint again of somehow effectiveness is upped, not just when we increase faith, not just when we add fasting, but when we get others involved and the cry is greater than the cry of one, it's the cry of us, that somehow the world can be changed. Effective prayer can change the world. Now, this doesn't mean or even remotely insinuate that that human beings control the world. You know, we don't pray and God doesn't just act because we pray as though God is our servant. That's not what this is about. It's more like God is speaking out through us into the world. Um, there could have been all kinds of ways that God chose to act. And I think there are other ways that God does act outside of the human volition and our engagement. There are some sovereign things that just are going to happen. But for whatever reason, God has chosen to give us the keys of the kingdom. And he has chosen to work through humanity and through people that are trusting him and that we're like the body of Christ, which means that there are things that happen through his body. And a big part of that is through our prayer. Now, let me say something that I don't have a very good understanding of uh, probably all this stuff (laughs) How do we understand these things that much? We just know what the church has said. We know what the scripture implies. But faith is that kind of thing, like talking about love, right? It's a little bit nebulous. But there's something about this idea that God is praying through us when we pray um, that's so powerful. It's like Origen suggested, that God uses our prayer as a part of, of the set of causes that make what God wants to happen, happen. And what I find interesting is the Holy Spirit's role in this. So Paul claims in Romans 8, 26, you might remember this text. He says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. And listen to what he says the weakness is. For we do not know how to pray as we should. Again, this issue of prayer can be gnarly, and sometimes we just don't know what to do with it. But he says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us, for us, with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What he's basically saying is, there's something in us, the Holy Spirit working in us, that helps us to pray when we don't know how to pray. And something in the groan, something in the cry, something in the Abba Father, something in the embracing of that relationship and wrestling through with our words what it is we think God is trying to do by saying, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, that the Spirit himself is interceding through us. It's not just us. It's the way God spills into the world. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that's articulated in 1 Corinthians 12 is the gift of faith. And I don't know exactly how this works, but I I can tell you over the past 50 years or so of being a Christ follower, being a praying person, that there have been times when I prayed that I had great confidence, and I don't know why. I mean, I felt like I knew what I was praying was going to happen. I had this uber something faith thing going on, and it did. I mean, a few times it was over healing. I just somehow I knew a few times it was over circumstances to change that were really not good. And they did. 
Now, other times, lots of other times, um, I have prayed and that confidence wasn't there. <laughs> In fact, a lot of my prayers were like cross-fingered prayers. <laughs> kind of, I'm going to pray this, but there wasn't much confidence at all. But I still prayed. I mean, oddly, some of those were answered as well. But not nearly as predictably, if I can even say it that way. I, I do think that we're to obey the New Testament charge in this regard, that Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We are called to pray. But I just wanted to nod to the fact that sometimes when we pray, we have this sense, the sense of the Spirit, praying through us with an, a kind of assurance that's unusual. And then other times, I think it's just the Spirit praying through us that we just have to trust, but we're called to pray. Now, the first kind of prayer that we want to explicate is this idea of simple prayer. Simple prayer is um, prayer where you don't have to get it right to pray. I mean, <laughs> there are times when I ask Gail to run out with me, you know, somewhere, um, and we pretty much go, and you know, like we are in our grubs, barely combed hair, jeans, whatever. There are other times when we go out that we have to get gussied up, right? I comb my hair. I work on my facial hair. Gail does her outfit picking and does the hair makeup thing and all that. Those times take a whole lot bigger commitment and effort. And we tend to do those things less, right? Grubby's easier to do. And we tend to do more of the grubby things in life. I, I think this is same in this business of prayer. Um, there are times to dress up in prayer, uh, to think seriously about interceding. Maybe you use a prayer book. Some of us in the uh, Order of St. Anthony, we use a prayer book twice a day um, and pray through an office. It's called the Daily Office, which we'll talk about later on a podcast. Uh, we may go to a prayer meeting or a worship service. Part of, part of dressing is cleaning up, you know, getting down to business, formal prayer. I mean, it's cool. Um, and and there, there are these kinds of prayer, these more formal kinds of prayer that demand we carry pure motives and a focused heart and we find specific promises to stand on. You kind of get your best on. Uh, very, It's a beautiful thing. But there is a place for informal praying too, simple praying, instant on the spot praying, no preparation praying. Prayers that you're not very good at, right? Where you're not guarding your motives and you're just, blathering, right? I'd like to suggest to you that this kind of praying, this informal, simple praying, is really something that should fill your life and should be kind of the starting line for a successful prayer. And because it, it's built on this kind of honest, open, budding relationship with God. And it, it's one of the ways that you can begin to really seriously eliminate this chasm of prayerlessness that comes to us. I think sometimes people are prayerless because they just don't feel like they're holy enough or saying it rightly enough. I'm suggesting to you that if you and I will learn how to be more informal and enter into simple praying and just articulating what's in our heart to God, honestly, you'll do it a lot. And you'll find that you'll begin to move in more formal forms of prayer more easily. So let's talk about this, this, this kind of praying, this informal, simple blabbing prayer. Here's the central characteristic. It's childlike. <laughs> Gail and I raised four kids. Uh, they're old now. 
over the years, we're old too. Over the years, I was shocked, right, as I'm watching the sh- these kids grow up and their their conversation, their communication, sometimes was crazy, selfish, mean, blaming, right? Those precious little blessings they would say things to us, crazy things like, "Daddy, will you buy me a large screen TV for my room?" or they see a Disney World commercial on TV. Hey, Dad, let's go to Disney World today. Uh, or other selfish things like a dinner scene where someone would pipe up and say, you know, I want the biggest piece. Tell her to give it to me, Dad. Or Dad, I'm in control what we're watching on TV tonight. Or 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 mean things like, Dad, you better spank him. Let me tell you what he did. Right? Or don't let him come with us <laughs> you know, when you're going somewhere. Or blaming things like, it's not my fault, it's his fault. Uh what I do love about that horror is that they felt comfortable enough to tell me those things. I mean, it told me they were comfortable enough to reveal their sinful little hearts to me. And they actually became teaching moments for us. This may shock you, but I, I really believe God wants us to be that open with him. And there's an old rock and roll song by Janis Joplin back in the 70s called Mercedes-Benz, and the, the song opens up, Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? It's so bad, but so bad in a refreshing way. Why? Because I think I think God wants us to simply express what's going on in us, even if it's wicked. <laughs> There's a text in Psalm 139 that says, Oh, Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You know, when I sit, you know, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before there's a word on my tongue, you know it completely, oh Lord. What's he saying? God is not shocked by you. He knows how good you can be, and he knows how naughty you are. C.S. Lewis said so brilliantly, quote, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us, end quote. See, I think we're to come to God in the midst of the rough and the tumble of life and naturally and honestly communicate to him our frustrations, our passions, our pain, our fears, our anger, our complaints, our selfish desires, our impulses, our disappointments. I think we're just to bring them to him. We should tell him honestly, that we are chock full of pride or conceit or vanity or haughtiness or being egocentric, as well as when we're briefly generous or unselfish or have some altruism, right? I think God wants it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think he longs for us to simply tell him what's going on in us honestly. Why? Three reasons, really. Number one, because it is in us and we need to get it out. We need to confess it or else it'll get repressed in us somehow and twist us somehow. Those ugly things um, need to come out. I just thought like pimples, but that's pretty gross, but it's true. Because there is something cleansing, number two, the reason we should tell, talk to God about these things is because there's something cleansing about openly and honestly saying the dark, horrible things we think before a God who's holy. We instantly know that it's wrong. And instead of trying to, ju- you know, to justify it or whatever, we just expose it. And when we expose it, it shows its silliness. And our emotions start experiencing cleansing. Like, why would you want that, right? And you actually feel closer to God when you do. He, he wants us to be unguarded like you would with 
the closest of friends. And then thirdly, I think by being honest like this, it just open about what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're experiencing. It helps us to move toward more serious prayer because then you can stop and say, okay, God, what, what's going on inside me that wants to hate? Why, why am I having such trouble envying? Why, why can't I celebrate the victories of other people? Um, why can't I manage my eating or my sexuality or my, what's, or my anger? What's going on inside me? There's a great prayer that's repeated over and over in the Book of Common Prayer that we often use, uh, a breviary that we often use. And the, the line uh, from, it's from sacred text is, Oh God, make speed to save us. Oh Lord, make haste to help us. So it's this kind of idea of saying, man, I, I, when I'm left to my own devices, this is pretty much what I do, but I need you, God, to help me. And that's where this gets a little more serious when we're honest about it. I think, I think we need to move through, not around, our selfishness. And to do that through prayer, by honestly opening up to God and telling God about it. Now, I dare you to try this. <laughs> Just start talking to God about whatever it is that you are. Tell God of your hopes, your fears, your appetites, your impulses. Tell God, I want to hate Joan right now when you want to hate Joan. You're not um, setting that in cement. You're simply owning it. And what God already knows is raging in you. You're owning it. And what if that kind of honesty is really a sign of deep faith in a loving God who is your parent, your friend, your lover, your counselor, your shepherd, your savior, all of those things all at once. See, prayer is critical to being a Christian because it identifies the reality of the relationship that you now have with God through Christ. You start with recognizing it matters that you can pray effectively. And then you lean as your baby steps into childlike, open, honest, simple praying. Practice that this week. Next time we'll move into the not so simple kinds of praying.